I've heard it said that visibility is one of the greatest influences in empowering people to pursue their dreams and inspiring them to set goals that would otherwise seem unattainable. Throughout my life, I've seen this to be true time and time again. That's why a few years ago, I quit my job working at a fast-paced, venture-backed technology startup to travel the world telling the stories of a new generation of innovators, makers, creators, and leaders who are taking risks, forging their own paths to success, and shaking up the marketplace in return. Millennovation is isn't about highlighting the exceptional stories of a few individuals. It's about empowering you to forge a new future path. It's about learning from the experiences, the successes, and the failures of our peers. And most of all, it's a place to think through the unconventional strategies that will help all of us get where we're going a little bit faster. It all starts here on the Millennial Innovators Podcast. So we've got Evan Rummel, international photographer, here with us today in the studio. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks. So the show is all about, as you know, all about forging your own path and picking things up and doing them whether, you know, you feel qualified or not. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because I know that not only are you a killer photographer, but you're completely Mm self-taught. And so what made you pick up the camera? Tell us a little bit about that. I did high school photography. You know, every every high school has got some kind of photography class. So I did a black and white film course. It just stuck. I mean, it was one of those where, you know, I liked it. Uh, It was interesting. And then it was weird. I didn't really do much outside of that, right? iPhones didn't exist. Cell phone cameras were garbage, you know, so it wasn't really advantageous for me to do anything. I didn't have the money for digital cameras, but I would always pick up my dad's camera uh, and just kind of play around with it and think that I knew what I was doing. And I would follow a friend of mine that had a camera around uh, and, you know, we would make these, you know, short pieces. We would, you know, take pictures of weird stuff and think it was really cool. But it wasn't until probably 2009, I had heard this message. It kind of sparked an interest in going on a mission trip, uh, which was interesting. And so that kind of led to uh, getting accepted into a trip to Africa. And out of the blue, you know, I just was like, hey, if I'm going to Africa, I might as well find a camera and, you know, just take a bunch of pictures because it's Africa and you have this idealized viewpoint of what Africa is. And so I did, went, took like three or 4,000 pictures, came back and it stuck from there. That was really like the catalyst for basically like a media career, photography career. Yeah. This is later in life or earlier in life, right? High school was black and white film. uh, And that was like 2002, 2003. And then I guess you could call it a six year hiatus. Yeah. Uh, And And you did some other things. Yeah. I mean, I was in the military. I worked full time at, you know, various jobs, you know, retail managing of, you know, Starbucks and stuff like that. And yeah, it just was random stuff. And then it just was kind of a, you know, a complete 90 degree turn into, hey, go get a camera and then convince a company to hire you. Yeah. And it was really convincing. It was just more like, hey, this is just what I want to do. I'm going to make up a position. Can I do this for you? And the company was like, yeah, sure. This would be great. So yeah. so in that time, in that kind of six year hiatus, were you feeling lost at all? It's weird looking back at it, right? When I was there, I didn't, right? So I, I tried school two or three times. One time I was voluntarily kicked out where I basically like removed myself from school. Mm. Uh, and then the other time I was involuntarily kicked out. Ooh. So I suppose at that point, you know, you're like, well, okay, you know, because you're in the military, I had a free education. So it's like, well, I should be able to complete something and I wasn't able to. So in some regards, yeah, I did feel lost. I didn't feel lost as more just stuck, you know, where I just kind of accepted, hey, I'm just going to be in Connecticut for the rest of my life because the programs that I was a part of wanted me to either go to New York or wanted me to go to Boston. And at the time, neither of those interested me because it just was like Connecticut was like the ugly brother that nobody cared about, (laughs) you know, when you compare it to Boston and New York. Right. So in that period, I think it was just one of those where I just figured I would, you know, get a job and just earn money and pay rent. And that was it, you know, and I would have my friends and, you know, you just do life the way that you do in a smaller town. Yeah. What finally made you just pick up? Is that how it uh, happened? Like you just picked up? Kind of. Uh, it, it was a combination of a lot of things. Uh, one of them being a 
really bad relationship. Uh, like that, so many other men. <laughs> yeah, it just was, and it was bad. I mean, it just, it, it had all the red flags that you should walk away from and I never did. And then, you know, we still work together. And so it just was a really, just a rough year. That kind of was a weird cementing staple to, hey, now I can go to Africa and impress her and like win her back, uh-huh. which was so stupid because then I came back from the trip and I was like, I want nothing to do with this anymore. Right. You know, you have this eye opening experience, right? You know, you're, it's a mission trip, you know, you're going and you're serving and you're experiencing things you never experienced, right? And I'd been to the Middle East a bunch of times and it, it was one of those where it wasn't that different, but the experience was radically different. So it changed me. So I came back beaming, you know, from like, wow, it was really cool. I need to tell everyone about this. Yeah. And then slowly realized, hey, this is just a bad place for me. And that's when I applied for this, basically like a three to six month internship that could turn into a staff position. Nice. And so I basically created the position for this company. And so from there, I just, you know, submitted it and had a couple interviews and they loved it and they wanted me on board. I worked for Starbucks at the time and, and I was like, hey, I'm moving. So this weekend is my last weekend. So I found a truck, found a trailer, wow. you know, like packed it all up in a day and then, you know, left at like midnight. Um, wow. Yeah. And it was just one of those where it's like, cool, this is it. And it was like, I kicked the dirt off and I haven't gone back to Connecticut since. I have no reason to go back um, just because it's not for me anymore. Right. Uh, it's a very different season. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Everyone in your life, were they pretty shocked about? <laughs> kind of. I mean, the, the, the trip to Africa was kind of out of the blue, mm. but then it just turned into excitement. Right. So like the friends that I had were excited. Hey, you're doing something cool. You know, this is different for you. You know, this is new. I think when it turned into an actual reality, you know, my, my parents were really supportive, but like your new family just kind of, well, this is different. You know, yeah. you were, you were in school and you were in military and you know, you worked at Starbucks and you were with your church and you helped plant it and this and that and this and that. And it's like, well, this is where'd this come from? Right. And so the question for a number of years was like, when did Evan get creative? Right. You know, and it was like, where did you get this photography? Like we're, we're not really creative family. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we are, but like in very different ways. Right. And so it was like in the arts realm of that specifically, it just didn't really make sense for, for a while. And it took time to kind of get over, but yeah, it like on the generalized level, it was kind of like, cool. All right. We support you. Go get them. You know, because whenever one of your friends leaves, you're always like, yeah, go get it. You know, I'm super excited for you. You know, keep me posted and send pictures, you know? Yeah. <laughs> send pictures. Yeah. Which were like legit pictures at the time. You know, it wasn't even like, like iPhone pictures still were garbage. You know, so it wasn't even, you were texting pictures necessarily back and forth. So no Snapchat. No, nothing. It's like postcards. That's awesome. That's interesting. I didn't know that about you. My move to New York started very similarly. And I think everybody in my life was kind of like, I had been talking about it, Mm -hmm. but I don't think they really thought I would do it. And then when I did move up here, I remember I asked my parents to sell my car and my dad like just, you know, sat on it for for like 10 months thinking that I was going to come like crawling back. It was hard, but I see my dad sold one quick. (laughs) Was it difficult when you got up here? No. I mean, I literally wait New York or just that initial move because those are very different stories. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us the move? Yeah. Jersey was very easy. Oh, you moved to Jersey initially? Yeah. So like when I worked for that company um, and it was, it was a matter of, you know, showing up and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm in for this company. And they were like, cool. Like you can start, you know, we have a gala, you know, in mid December, why don't you just help out with that? And then we can figure out, you know, come the new year, you know, just your daily jobs. So from there, I just did some research on roommates and stuff like that. And that was easy, you know, cause then it just, you know, I still had the apartment in Connecticut for a couple months. Um, but just through Craigslist and roommates or whatever, like I sold it off to, you know, just some other person, but New York was very different. Hmm. You know, like the, I worked for that company for probably two years or so, uh, and then got connected with a startup and that was just, you know, living with the CEO, uh, living with, living with the CEO. Yeah. So I was living with him, you know, cause we were just, it was daily grind. You know, yeah. I moved you know further down towards like Newark area and we would get in his car and we would go through the tunnel every day into the city and whatever came about, um, you know, that was probably a, you know, an 18 month journey to which, you know, I'd gone broke a couple times, couch served numerous times, you know, and that's when I got really connected with my church that I'm at now. Um, and, you know, I had to call on a lot of friends, you know, there's a period of, you know, about four to six weeks, you know, where I was just on a different couch almost every night. Wow. That I think is like, if you don't have that New York story, you haven't really experienced. Agreed. Well, like a, a piece of New York, right. You know, that's the kind of New York that chews you up and spits you out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that, like, you know, it chewed me up and spit me out, you know, because eventually I ran out of favors and I ran out of money and then I had some money to give to friends and they just wouldn't 
you know, take it. And, you know, living with this guy, you know, I eventually got kicked out of the house and, you know, I basically had to like, you know, in a span of four or five hours, pack up whatever could fit in my car and then drive all the way to Atlanta to, to my parents' house. And then I basically was couch serving at my parents' house for like three or four months. Until you. Know? you yeah. Until it just was back. like, yeah. A friend of mine basically was like, Hey, I really feel that if you don't come back to New York, you will drown and you will not be what you're supposed to be. So you need to start looking at plane tickets and come back. And these are like three o'clock in the morning conversations, you know, where we're both not sleeping and, right. you know, he knows like what I'm going through, but he's living it up in New York, yeah. you know? And so I looked at plane tickets and I found a $50 first class ticket through some weird glitch. And then I thought that was weird. So I figured I could get it for cheaper and it was a $50 coach. So I just bought a first class ticket one way uh, nice. with really no plan. And I just showed up in the city uh, and texted a friend and he was like, Hey, this is actually kind of weird because my roommate just left for three months to go to Texas. So you can just live with me. So it just was one of those where even coming back was a great like rendezvous, you know, and it was a great you know, welcome home kind of present. Yeah. But that even ended, you know, where, you know, the roommate eventually came back and said, Hey, you know, you just can't stay here anymore. You've got to go. And that was, you know, a night where I packed up my stuff or those familiar with New York, you know, I was living kind of in Bed-Stuy area and I basically packed up my bags and figured I would walk to Prospect Park and sleep in the park. You Did know, because you sleep in the park? I made my way over and then, cause I had been texting friends and saying, Hey, I've got $500 left in my bank account. I will pay to sleep on a couch. I will figure out money elsewhere, but I will pay. And nobody responded. Um, and it was a really bizarre thing. Cause at that point I was, you know, connected with friends here yeah. in New York, right? And they knew kind of my journey. They knew my story and nobody responded. And walking over to the park, you know, I got a random text from a friend that I didn't, you know, reach out to who just was checking in being like, Hey man, I haven't seen you. How are you doing? So I explained it to him and he goes, dude, I'll pick you up. Like get on the train, come to this stop, wait for me. I'll have a car pick you up. And so, you know, I took the train all the way out to like East New York area, you know, not a nice neighborhood. Um, and I'm standing on this awkward corner, you know, with all of my bags <laughs> and this like random car shows out. The window rolls down. Yo, you Evan. I'm oh like, yeah. Gosh. And he's like, yo, what's up, man? Like, I'm here to pick you up. You know, Will sent me. And so it's just kind of this, another one of those just random stories in New York where, uh, you know, the, the 11th hour kind of comes through and I've stuck since, you know, so I stayed it out in that apartment for a while and then, you know, took a job over in Nigeria for like four or five months. And when I came back, I had an apartment waiting for me and that's where I'm at still at now. This just been a ridiculous blessing uh, that I don't know. It's it's like I can't really explain the housing miracles that I've had in my life, but it's not been easy by any means. You know, even where I'm at now, I've had moments with my landlord where it's like, can I still pay rent? You know, all right, I won't eat for this week and I will pay rent. Yeah. You know, and so it's just like that's the kind of grind that New York has. So, yeah, yeah. no, it's so real. I've really never been so, I guess, broke, like financially insecure mm -hmm. as I have living here. I mean, it was a learning experience, right, mm -hmm. to realize because I've always been a saver, you know, so before I made the move up here and started this company, I had saved like half my salary every year and I wasn't making a ton, but I had saved it. And then moving up here, I went through that nest egg really fast mm -hmm. and you don't even really realize it. And then all of a sudden I was like, wow, I have a couple hundred bucks left mm -hmm. in my savings account and, you know, not much in my... Yeah, you know, rent's debit. due next week. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's crazy. I don't know how you save in a city like this. No, it's weird. Yeah. It's really weird. It's weird. That's really cool though. Uh, that's pretty crazy. You go through all of this stuff to get here and to kind of get planted. And then, you know, it's one thing to start a hobby, right? To pick something up and, and have it be a hobby. But it's another thing to like take your interest and turn it into a business and create a career out of it. How does that whole process go? Yeah. How did um, it go? Well, the weird thing is I didn't really want this. Uh, I mean, mm. with the exception of stumbling upon it and realizing, hey, I can have a company sponsor me to go around the world and take pictures or, you know, video and stuff like that and, and create moving pieces out of it. Um, I didn't really ever want that. Uh, that was never on my radar. So when it, someone in my lap, it just kind of like, oh, this is what I'll do. And it wasn't until, you know, I'd had a, a bad business deal, you know, the couple years back in 2014 that, you know, really rocked me, you know, where client basically reneged on a contract. And it was one of those kind of moments where that I think was the catalyst for, okay, this has to be different because at that point you're working on kind of the honor code and you're working on people's, you know, verbal words. And, you know, that just kind of shook me because, you know, you're getting a, a company lawyer involved that's saying, Hey, it's, this sounds like blackmail. So why don't you just walk away from this? Because we don't want to get, you know, court cases involved and you're going, but you owe me money, you know, and you owe me this and I've done all the right things. And, you know, I had a lawyer get involved and, um, you know, he basically said, Hey, just do the right thing, give all the stuff over and hope for the best because you can then respect yourself as opposed to 
to like holding on to it. So I think from that point on, it just changed for me. You know, 2014 was a rough year in terms of acknowledging personal boundaries. You know, it's like a relationship, you know, you get burned and you don't trust anyone. So 2014 was hard in the sense that like, I didn't trust anyone and I took weird jobs and you know, the hundred dollar gigs, you know, the Craigslist kind of ads that just were stupid, but I started finding myself in my work. Uh, And that's, I think I've never really gotten good at the business part for myself, Mm -hmm. right? I can look at someone else's business and say, Hey, I think this is probably what you should do. And I've watched friends, you know, take off on, you know, ideas that I've given them and it's worked and it's been great. It's been weird to try and then flip that back on myself. Right. Because I think when you're, you're a lot more critical yourself, right? You know, I can tell someone to risk it and they, they do it and they succeed. And I'm like, yeah, you did it. But when I do it to myself, it's a lot harder. Yeah. Um, And it's a lot more of a gut check. Um, And I think that's, that's been the one thing business wise that I've yet to learn and really own is the gut check moment. I've taken risk. I've taken, you know, big steps and stuff like that. Uh, But that's probably been the worst part is just kind of gravitating towards that fear, which you just have to own as a creative because that's all creativity is. That's all art is, is, you know, doing something that scares you to the point where then you have to share it with people or share it with yourself and say, I made a mistake or I made it right, especially on a business level. So I think it's, um, it's something that I'm still learning. You know, I never admit that I'm an expert at it, like that I have advice really worth sharing. Um, I <laughs> think I did. just, well, I mean, yeah, I think everyone does, but it's one of those where I'm not going to sit in a room and be like, Hey, like, this is the thing you should do. You know, it's, it's always, Hey, I think this is, this is what I'm feeling right now. And I'm sensing, and it's kind of a, I mean, not to be cheesy, but it's kind of like a faith discernment level for me, you know, like, Hey, this is just what I'm sensing right now. I don't have a good feeling about that, but I have a good feeling about this. What if we just put that on the table and rock it around and see if it works? And if it doesn't, whatever, you know, but, yeah, I mean, it's like the business stuff. I wish, I wish I was better. Cause that's my, that's my dad's like, you know, stuff. He's a business dude. No you way. Know? So yeah, I mean, he's a business professor. He's, you know, taught numerous classes. Uh, he's done, you know, MBA programs and undergrad programs and, you know, different, different universities all over the country. So it's, it's one of those where I wish I'd had, and I pick his brain a lot, you know, but it's one of those where I kind of landed in the creativity of, you know, the hopeless romantic yeah. you know, versus business savvy. Yeah. I'm learning so many things about you. I, I feel like I, I knew you well. I'm a new person. I know. It's the same way for me. My dad is this awesome business man. He has reinvented himself so many times and started at the bottom level every time. And within, you know, a matter of months or even just a short year would like rise. Watching that example growing up was like mind blowing, especially reflecting back on it now that I'm older. But he just he thinks I'm like this great idealist. Mm. Right. And he's like, you live with your head in the cloud. I actually, I have to say, like, I love my dad and I really appreciate him because I'm coming up on two years of having this company. And the whole first year he was like, I don't know what you're doing. Get a job. And then I don't know, something changed in the past few months. And he has just been really supportive. And Mm -hmm. I can tell that he doesn't understand it at all, but has realized that there's like this need in me. Yeah. And I think he knows that I'm capable of doing something. And I can tell that he believes that now, Mm -hmm. right? Which is different than before. But it's difficult because the business stuff is the most challenging thing for me. Yeah. And it's the same way. I can I can walk into a room and I can I can talk to any any level person and sell them on anybody else. But when it's myself, yeah. Yeah. It's that fear factor. Mm -hmm. So you're still learning. Yeah. I think I'm getting better. You know, I think the I'd had a great conversation, you know, one of my Starbucks regulars, you know, every morning at 5 a.m. because I would do the morning shifts, you know, him and his his partner, you know, they own this company here in Madison and they would just come rocking through the door, still putting on their ties, you know, these two 40 year old frat boys, you know, that are just yucking up a storm and clapping and hooting and hollering and they would just get a black coffee every day. Uh, and they invited me to their office, you know, after learning I was a photographer and I'd had some questions and, you know, they basically for an hour gave me their lunch break, you know, and gave me business advice. And this was four years ago and it's still stuck, you know, in the sense that, you know, the New York style is you got 10 or 15 seconds to sell people. And it's not really selling necessarily. You're just captivating people of why you're different. Their advice, I think, is true, you know, because they worked in a very high paced environment of just communications and media. And, you know, there's all kinds of companies and New York is saturated with photographers, right? So why am I different? You know, and it turns into this character personality that people are sold on versus, oh, your work, because anyone's work is great. Right. Um, Especially here. Right. You know, and like you can fake work, you know, which yeah. is kind of, a, I mean, you're faking, like when you see the behind the scenes stuff, it just looks like garbage. But then when you see the finished product, it looks incredible. But there's this idea that you just don't want to work with a jerk on set, mm-hmm. you know, or someone that's really sleazy, especially in the fashion world, you know, where you get these dude photographers that are just sleeping around with models. And it's like, that works for some people. But when you have a, a moral code, you know, or when you want to actually kind of be, go beyond that, you know, you can't be known as that guy or just that jerk on set. So yeah, it's just this weird thing of like who you 
you are as a person. I think that's, I think, been the most interesting part about New York is that it really opens you up to who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have to battle it back, right? So New York, like, makes you a worse person uh, because you could wake up happy as a clam, spill your coffee in the subway, get face planted by the subway doors, <laughs> you know, and then have some old lady just push you and shove you through the turnstile. And then you're just completely a wreck and you're F-bombing everyone you see. Right. You know, all in a span of 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it, it's one of these weird little cesspools of energy that it opens you up to these worlds that you're just not necessarily used to, but you have to kind of pick and choose. And then from there, then you pick and choose and you apply that to kind of who you are, your work, your inspiration, your, you know, your ideology, your moral codes, whatever it may be. Uh, and then I think that just grows, you know, and so as long as you steward that really well, uh, I think you start. And at least that's what I'm feeling. Like this year was a really formulative year in the sense that you, you just kind of figure out kind of who you want to be. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, you have to like make it happen. Right. So it's not easy after that. It just gets harder because now you know what you want to be. Now you know like where you want to go, but you have to actually get work to like sustain that. Yeah. So you said it so perfectly. I mean, this, it's just a roller coaster. The city mm -hmm. pulls so many emotions and experiences out of you in a matter of, like you said, minutes, um, yeah, which is really annoying. I know. And so it's like you get to these breaking points and you can be anyone or you can go around like being a shell of who you really are. But I think it's making the decision mm -hmm. to decide like which version of you do you want to be, yeah. right? Choice is like a big word that's <laughs> just been coming up in all my conversations recently. And it's like you said, it brings you to a point where you have to make a decision of who you want to be. And then you continuously have to fight to be that person, yeah. right? Once you make the decision. So maybe that's just life. I don't know. Probably. There's probably some left lesson or book title in there somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll write it one day. Yeah, right. <laughs> So throughout the evolution of your experience or your career thus far, have you ever been tempted by those self-glorifying yeah. personas or to become one of those like All the time. skeezy dudes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing. Like if you're so like I started international like, humanitarian style photography, right? You know, documentary-esque, you know, very charity based. Uh, and then from there, I just ended up in fashion, you know, and now I'm currently in this place of evolving that to more on the commercial end because yeah, there's more money, but there's just better clients. You know, yeah. you're not like grinding it out and testing and, you know, shooting these pieces that are paying you a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, you know, you're, you're looking for projects that are just bigger. So I think for me, when you're at least in the fashion world, right, you're shooting beautiful people, mm -hmm. right? And so especially, I mean, I produ help produce two fashion shows and backstage, if you've never been to a fashion show, it's just mayhem, you know, and we <laughs> We had two mammoth shows with dozens of models and nobody cares, right? Like there's just naked people all over the place. And it's, just, I remember the first time I ever did it and it was my first real fashion experience, you know, and you know, just the casting experiences alone were, you know, this eye opening moment of like, wow, these are like beautiful girls and you're talking to them and you're thinking that this is a way in right? versus it's just simply transaction, right? right? Like this is their job. My job is to cast them or to help photograph them or just to be around to like, assist backstage. And so you you get into these fantasy-esque mindsets of like, oh yeah, like I have all these friends and I can call on them and we can all sleep together in this huge champagne orgy fest. <laughs> and it's like that dumbest thing ever. You know, like, yes, that probably happens, yeah. you know, but like, please, you know, that's just straight out of a bad porn movie, right, you know, exactly. that is just awful. Um, and it's one of those where you have to really check yourself where you're just like, okay, I'm going to go out front because this is just weird, you yeah. know, or even when I'm on set, you know, with, you know, if I'm testing or something like that, you know, I'm very careful just to have other people that I know that are on set with me that if it gets weird or whatever, or if I don't want to be around it, I can just like have a conversation with them, yeah. you know, or we can go into it and be like, Hey, cool. This is like, I don't want to end up this way, you know, or, uh, like for my work, I don't shoot naked girls. Like mm -hmm. that's just something I don't do. I'm not a playboy photographer. I'm not a, you know, a lingerie, you know, get skimpy for me. Uh, <laughs> that's just not me. Cause that's not like, I don't want it to be about the naked girl. Right. Right. If I'm going to shoot a girl, I'm going to shoot because there's some kind of natural beauty. I'm going to shoot because there's some kind of story behind it. And that's always my goal as opposed to get naked so that guys can, you know, or girls for that matter, can fantasize about it. That's just not me. So, but you still have it, right? It's, it's the world, right? You still have these temptations. You still have this whole thing where like, oh, I'm the best person ever, you, you know, like sidetracking it where you, you're trying to create this God complex. You know, when you go into meetings with agents or when you go into, you know, client meetings, yeah, you are the man at the time, you know, you're the best photographer they're ever going to see, but there has to be an element where you're still trying to serve them, you know? So I've gone into meetings and I've lost 10, 20, $30,000 clients in a moment, you know, because I simply mentioned another friend that probably be better than me. And you know it, you know, when you lose the client, it's a crap feeling, Yeah, you know, uh, but then you realize, okay, well then I pass it to someone else to at least serve their needs. And you realize, okay, cool.
cool. Then mine will come later. And I just, I don't know. It's like that I think is how I try and curb it. You know, where I'm in a client meeting and I'm trying to sell them on like the best photographer they need. If I'm not it, I'm not going to like try and be that. Recommend. Now, if I yeah. know that I could get to that point on the job, sure. I'll like BS my way through it. Right. Um, because half the time you don't know all you're going to do on the job anyway. You right. got to figure it out. So if I can't get to that point, you know, there's, there was a producer from LA that, you know, said something that for most of his creative jobs, he's only known 60% of what he's supposed to do. He's figured out the other 40% up to the point where he's pushed record on the camera, <laughs> which I love. I love that idea that you convince the client, Hey, I'm good up to a certain point and I can, I can finish this. So you show them the finish line, but you don't show them the in between or whatever, or you kind of skirt over it, knowing that you're going to get a team around it to finish it. Yeah. Um, but you're not giving the whole package away either out of self-preservation or just like, I don't know, I got to figure it out. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I think you just got to be careful because people can see right through your God complexes. People can smell it. You know, when you meet new people, you just have a weird stench about you, you know, where you're like, wow, you're totally about yourself. I don't want to be around you. Like, even if you're like good for me, don't want to be around you. Yeah. You know, because you're just douchey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like for lack of better words, you're just someone I don't want to see. Yeah. So. No, you're yeah. so right. It's funny. I'm definitely servant hearted. And I mean, that's how I got started in my career in nonprofit. And I liked it because I got to give and I liked startups because, you know, you're literally building something and you're helping someone create this company that is going to have an impact in the world. And then going out on my own, it's really hard for me to balance that mentality of self-preservation. It's just, there's so many fine lines. It's like from giving everything you have to then not being seen as a value or an asset, right? And then being taken advantage of or, you know, self-preservation, not giving enough, you seem kind of fake. And then at the top, there's this like, I'm too good, right? Or like, I'm the best, which you have to be confident, but there has to be a line. And so it's a constant, I don't know, I'm still learning how to like mentally find my line and be in the middle because I do the same thing. Like I'm not going to tell someone to hire me if I'm not the best person for the job, especially because what I've learned is that that client is probably not a client that I want anyways, right? Like they're going to be a pain in the butt. They're going to, you know, they're going to be the person that's driving you crazy and Mm -hmm. that is stressing you out rather than just passing on it by giving them advice and pointing them in a better direction. You then become a trusted source and an Mm -hmm. expert to them, right? Which builds credibility which builds a name and it also maintains that integrity, which integrity for me is kind of like the one thing I want to be known for in my career. Yeah. How do you kind of balance this whole, like obviously your spiritual life is a big guiding force, right? And something, you know, that obviously leads your career. I mean, you're in some really interesting circumstances where you have a lot of professional, personal and like spiritual all mm. meeting at the middle. How do you balance that? I don't, I don't really know like how I balance it as more of just it just kind of happens yeah uh, but I think there is somebody who said about the preparation element so if we were to assume that my spirituality like my faith because like, I'm a Christian you know if we're to assume that like my Christianity like is my guiding force then you have to be prepared right so you have to be invested in you know uh, like reading your Bible you know praying if you want to just be really like corny and cheesy but like that's it like learning more about like what my faith means you know but really what my faith entails then completely guides in what I do um, because then I'm able to say oh no this job like it does this no it's not going to work, you know, or you'll be in conversations where, you know, you just, you're able to guide a conversation in a way that it's it's super negative and you're able to like give it a positive spin just from this, like a discernment level of, all right, this guy is totally tripping right now, you know, and he's probably saying it because of this, this, and this. And biblically, like, I wouldn't say that, you know, in the sense that like, that's not what I'm called to say. Mm -hmm. So like, let's just, you know, switch the conversation, you know, to something better. Uh, And you can see these whole, you know, these moments where just things are remedied, they're reconciled, right? So I think that's just what it is. And then even the sense of, you know, I've got these tracks on my iPod, iPod, what the heck is an iPod? I got these tracks (laughs) on my iPhone, you know, where I just play, you know, that it's like all this crazy house music and kind of funky, like what you hear, like a fashion show. Um, but then, you know, with the DJ that, that mixed it, you know, infused these random sermons and, you know, little messages from like Miami revivals or like Toronto revivals and stuff like that. So you would listen to it and you don't actually hear it necessarily, but you're like, ah, cool. There's some random dude yelling and then there's a crowd chanting. But when you actually listen to it, you're like, ah, this is actually pretty spiritual. Uh, so you play that on set, you know, when you're, when you're shooting and it's, it's kind of this cool, cool moment when people are like, wow, this is really cool, cool music. Like, where's this from? You're like, oh yeah, this is my buddy. He's a DJ. You know, you just kind of leave it at that. And if people go any further, they go further. If not, then you don't. I think that's, that's where where it lands for me. You know, I don't push Christianity down people's throats. I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. Right. I have a strong aversion to Christians doing that to me. So why would I do that to someone who doesn't have any interest in Christianity? Yeah. And so 
if I'm on set with models and stylists and hair makeup artists or even just clients that don't live my lifestyle to be like repellent in the sense that I'm like, oh, you are such a sinner and <laughs> you need God's grace. And it's like, yeah, you do need. But like, why don't I just show you grace first? And so do I. Right. right you know, exactly. Like I woke up and cursed out an 80 year old woman, you know, <laughs> just because she pushed me off the subway. Right. So I need as much grace as you do simply because you're not living under the guise of like God's leadership, yeah. which really is like Jesus leadership because there's many gods. Right. So I think it's just one of those where you just you play it by ear. Yeah. But you also are just respectful of people. You know, yeah. people have boundaries. People people have been in church. Right. So people that I run across could have actually come from a church background and gotten screwed over, you know, and like gotten really hurt or, you know, God forbid, abused in the church, you know, where it's very real things of the world happen. So I think it's one of those where I work. I think I just let my work speak for itself. Yeah. You know, like my goal is to have my work be just powerful and human, not just about the girl or the guy in the clothes. Right. Yeah. You might do ad campaigns that are like that, but like I want it to transcend something that when people look at it, they're like, wow, this is man, like I'm just in, yeah. this is human. There's so much power to this. And you're going, yeah, this is cool. Uh, and then beyond that, like I go in and I just try and like be Jesus to people, yeah. you know? And so like, they might think they might see it. They might not. It doesn't really matter to me. I don't really care. I'm not going to, you know, go pray over them unless they want me to. But you're going to uh, love on them. Yeah, exactly. You know, where you're just, you're just a good human. Yeah. You know, even if they look at me and they're like, wow, you're just a great person. I'm like, yeah, I am. Yeah. Because of Jesus. I'm not going to like go, oh yeah, I'm totally a good person because I go to church and I'm like, you should come to the, and then hand them a track. Yeah. <laughs> if someone's turned off, I'm not going to like chase after them. Right. You know, I'm just going to be a good photographer and a good person on set so that when we leave, they want to work with me again. Yeah. So, yeah, you're saying a couple things that are standing out to me. Number one, which is really interesting, is that you have control of your environment. Right. And mm -hmm. like you can come in and create a space that allows you to not only like do work that will pull that human element out of people, yeah. but also allows you to give them something else, which is an actual experience and an interaction mm -hmm. with somebody who maybe they know, maybe they don't know, but who is just kind, right? And giving, and that's really cool. And that's a good reminder for me yeah. personally today, right? Is yeah. that, you know, I can walk into a meeting and, and people may try and flip the script, but if I stay the course, right, yeah. then I can effectively kind of make sure the conversation at least goes in a positive right. way, right? Because you can't control what someone else is going to say. They might attack right. you. They they might, you know, fire you. They might, you know, think you're a horrible person, but you can still control the fact that like, no, I'm not that person. I'm actually pretty cool right now. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not who you say I am, but like, if that's how you view me, then that's how you view me. And like, I'll let that get reconciled later. Like, cause right now you're wrong. Yeah. You know, like I've been reading a bunch of stuff on like Martin Luther King lately. And it's like this nonviolence element, you know, where it's, you're basically training yourself to just turn the other cheek. But like, even in the real world where you're working, like you're doing the same thing. You know, if things start getting out of control, the only thing you can control is your response to it. And I think that speaks volumes when people start seeing that, you know, oh my gosh, the lights aren't working and we're blowing fuses all over the place and the models are going crazy and the stylist is fighting with the makeup artist and you're just cool as a bat. Yep. You know, if that's even the phrase, I don't even know what the, I'm cool saying. Cool as a bat? Yeah. I'm saying all these weird phrases. I don't even know what that is. Cool as a clam. Cool. Cool as a cucumber. That one. Go with that one. So like if you're cool about it, you know, and then all of a sudden you just have this resolve of like, hey guys, like chill, you know? Yeah. You can maintain that cool. Yeah, exactly. And so. it doesn't all have to be the end of the world. It's right. like things are going to go wrong. Yeah. I saw this woman yesterday. I was on the subway on the way home. It's like 10 something and it's late and I'm tired. I had a crazy day. My umbrella broke. I got stuck in the rain multiple times and then we like missed the train by a couple seconds. And this woman was just like making the biggest fuss about it. Yeah. And I was just looking at her and I was like, oh man, that is such a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and right. another train came three minutes later. Yeah, right? exactly. Like you're guaranteed another, another moment to get on a train. Yeah. I'm sure your feet hurt. And I'm sure yeah. you're tired, but we'll all get there. Right. You know, it's like you have to have self-awareness to know the part that you play, mm -hmm. but then also awareness of other people to know what they need from you, maybe, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I've had the opportunity to watch you in a leadership role, mm -hmm. which has been really cool because I feel like it made me get to know you a little bit. So mm -hmm. it's interesting seeing you as a leader. It's really cool to see you with your team on Sundays because <laughs> you're like pretty chill. You're in the corner editing photos. You're 
you're doing your thing. And when we have downtime, which is very seldom, seven of them will just be like crowded in the corner around you talking to you about things. And I can tell that they're really excited and interested in learning from you. How do you create that environment where you are not running around from what I see, like micromanaging or freaking out about a shot list or anything? So how do you create that environment where your team is super pumped and also killing it? I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird. It's it's a very strange and new experience for me, I think. You know, if you break that apart, if you look at kind of the root of that, you know, that's just on a teaching level. And so you start having these kind of goals and ideas for being a teacher, you know, but not necessarily an academic, but more so on like a social kind of teacher or cultural kind of teacher. So it's, it's weird to be, you know, to use church language kind of appointed, you know, because I lead the photography team at our church. And uh, it's weird enough that our church has a photography team, right? <laughs> so in the church world, that is just a bizarre thing. And I think right. a lot of churches actually rebel against that and don't understand it. And I think that's great, you know, because churches don't need that. You know, our church just prides itself on that. You know, we love visual art. We love social storytelling. Um, that is the basis of our church communication platform. Um, so for us, photography is vital. Yeah. Um, and I think our team has the beautiful opportunity to capture every week something that's happening in our church that is pointing to Jesus, right? So our, a lot of volunteer teams or a lot of people that serve in church don't always get to see a win, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, you have the rock stars, especially in the winter in New York, because it sucks, but you have the people that are outside, like saying hi to everyone and smiling at every single person, right? Right? They're dying inside, you know, because it's so cold and they might go home and think like, did I actually do any good? And the reality is, yeah, you did an amazing thing, yeah. you know, or the people that are behind the scenes, you know, just kind of running the production or that are running, you know, deliveries or something like that. And they don't get to see the actual mode to see everything. But for us, we actually get a really cool win, you know, in the sense that like an actual image gets shared, you know, or a a moment is captured where someone interacted with Jesus in that moment. uh, We get to share it. So I think for us and for our team, I don't really create culture in the sense that I just kind of lead from the place where I want to be, you know, and I'm a very hands-off teacher. I'm very OCD. I'm very like detail and system oriented, but I think our team responds really well in the sense that I just want them to do what I do in the way that I learned, you know, because I was thrown to the deep end, you know, it was like, hey, kind of create this team and like, you know, help out with, you know, the other leaders and help out with the other photographers and like do it. Um, And I just kind of like jumped in and said, hey, cool, it'd be great if we were a little bit more organized and have more systems. And our team just responded. So like, I want our team to, you know, lead from a place of just instinctual capturing, you know, where they just know the right moments to be around and they're looking for the right moments and then they just do it on their own. They don't look to me. Um, And I think that's cool because I'm way more expendable than anyone else in the church. Like I'm a volunteer. Like I can get fired in a hard and there's no collateral. Right. You know, um, and I want it to be that way because I want someone else to take my job. You yeah. Know? It'd be great if I was a photography team lead for the next 20 years. <laughs> but in the event that I have to go somewhere else, like I want someone else who wants to step in and I want the rest of the team to actually lead each other so that when someone else is better at portraits, they're teaching each other and not me just teaching everyone everything because I don't know everything. Right. And so I think that's where it comes from is just this idea that, you know, our, our team should be bettering itself every single time and be in this completely open to learning posture, you know, because I don't know everything. So I have to be always learning learning and because I'm self-taught because, you know, I work for myself. I have to teach myself all the time and then be open to other people criticizing my work to the point where I have to learn from that and then learn something new and then get it better. So when our team does that at church, it's just beautiful, you know, and there are a bunch of raggedy misfits. They're just weird people, you know, and like I feel weird around them and it's great and it's amazing and it's bizarre for me to kind of accept the celebration, you know, where it's like, oh, wow, like you're the best and we love you. Thanks for leading. And it's it's a new experience for me. But I think that's part of this growing process, especially in a Christian world, you know, where you're just growing kind of into the gifts that you've been given and the the positions that you've been appointed to. So, yeah, you empower like you're trying to yeah. create leaders, right? Well, yeah, because like one of the biggest revelations I think of the team was where it was like, hey, cool, I need you to do this and oversee this. You know, I want you to be in charge of X, Y, Z, you know, so part of our team, we take a lot of story portraits, you know, kind of like what you'd see a human's of New York style. Mm. And so a lot of that was saying, hey, at this time of the day, is it easiest to do that? All right, cool. These are the usual photographers that we have at service. Awesome. You're going to be in charge of that. I want you to figure out the ins and outs around the block of where the best places are and figure out how to photograph people uniquely and then figure out a way to, you know, make it better, make it more exciting. And that kind of led to a photographer coming back and saying, hey, we always do an individual portrait. What if we did motion portraits? You know, what if we did like a GIF style portraits of people? And so we're like, we just kind of leave opportunity open 
open for people to innovate and, you know, be more creative. And, you know, instead of one person, you know, creating all these GIFs, they're training 10 people how to create GIFs. Right. So now you have 10 people in the real world that know how to create GIFs, which sounds really stupid because it's like, what are GIFs going to do? But like, it's just a new skill for someone to say, hey, cool, now I can do this. Yeah. You know, or now I know how to take this picture this way. Or now I know why your pictures look better than mine because you're doing it this way. Right. So now I can make mine better. And then even just beyond that, it's just like you're teaching people's skills in the sense of like, you know, the common misconception that people aren't creative. Right. It's like, yeah, you are creative. You're just choosing not to be. It's your fault you're not creative. It's not, you know, your DNA or your genetic code's fault. Yeah. Right. You have chosen to not be creative because you've told yourself you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, or you've listened to someone else who's told you you're not. You're not. So therefore you can like push out against that and be creative. Uh, and the same way it goes with like leadership, right? You know, everyone comes to me like, wow, you're the leader of the photo team. It's like, yeah, that's true. But only in like a corny title. Right. And even then, like I rebel against the title because titles are not everything. And especially like the leader of a photo team at a church. Like that's Where you're not serving. everything. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's, no, I'm not like, if I walk around church and I'm like, oh, the leader of the photo team, like serve me. That's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. And I hope someone replaces me. Right. Even in the real world, if I walk into a room and I'm like, wow, I'm the best photographer in the world. I hope someone would fire me so that I could get my act together. Right. So when it comes to that, I'm like, yeah, you're all leaders. You're all leaders of each other. You know, if someone else is doing the wrong thing, I expect you all to correct it. You know, like guidance by your peers. Yeah. You know, not me having to come down and be the bad wolf. That's just like, oh, guys, you're not doing the right thing again, because that just gets tiresome after a while, too. You know, then it turns into a dictatorship that like people only remember that as opposed to, you know, a really healthy environment where people are just naturally stewarding each other's gifts and encouraging each other's gifts and saying, oh, cool. Like you have an older camera than I and, you know, you only have one lens. Well, let's make sure you get the best possible images as opposed to, oh, well, pat you on the back. That's nice. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like we're, we're not children. You know, we're adults. We're all leaders. We're leaders in our world outside of this. So what better place in a church where you get free access to that? Yeah. To just become better at it and to like learn how to be uh, just better servants and realize that what we're doing is not about ourselves. What we're doing is not about like the glorification of our own work. We're actually doing it for other people. Yeah. You know, especially in a church setting where like, you know, we take photographs that are seen by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of followers at our church. Church has conferences and we're like creating content for that. You know, there are tens and tens of thousands, if not hundreds that are seeing our images and are liking it. So there's your win. Doesn't mean you can go around and like tote that like, oh, this is my image and like worship me now. Yeah. Because nobody cares. Like you go into the real world, nobody cares. Yeah. In a commercial world, nobody cares. Yeah. Because taking pictures for a church. Right. You know, so the fact that you can like elevate yourself to that. So it's one of those where it's this really fun place to just experiment and like. Let uh, everyone have a piece of it. Let everyone have a piece of it and just see what happens when you take the focus off yourself for once. Yeah. You know, where you're actually in this place where, you know, if you were to follow kind of on like a Jesus teaching level where it's not about you, it's about others. What better place to do that than in a church where the entire. It should be not about you. And like, well, no, I mean, but the entire purpose of photography is for people to know that that's your image. So to flip it on its head inside of a church where the entire purpose of our team is for it to never be about you and for you to never get credit for what you just did. It's only about the subject and the image. It's a really humbling and a really stretching thing because as a photographer, the entire purpose is photo credit. Yeah. Right? So when you don't get it, there is a slight tinge of pain, but then you eventually get over it and you're like, okay, cool. It's not about me. It's not about me. And when you think it's about you, then you tell yourself it's not about me. It's not about me. Like, oh wow, there's someone in the comment thread that said, I was in that and I experienced, I'm so glad I have this like memory or like, wow, that's me. Like, can't believe you guys captured this. This is so beautiful. Like, so grateful for you. And you're like, you've touched someone. So therefore, it's easily not about you. Right. So, um... How do you deal with when your team has those like hurt feelings or can you ever tell that's happening or or do I ever come to you with it? And then how do you kind of Um, straighten them out? Now, usually people don't come to me. Uh, We've we've had issues with it. And I think it's just like it's sad. The donning of the honor badge, you know, the the photograph badge that we get at church that says, hey, we've been entrusted with the ability to take photos at church. But like when you've been given that badge and you when you accept it and wear it and then walk out and take one picture, that starts this train of everything after that in that realm of taking pictures is content of the church. Yeah. You know, so it's just kind of a, but I think there's a difference between the heart behind it. If you're using images to somehow promote a profiteering message, that's a problem. And like we, we've had conversations with photographers on the team. You know, we've had photographers that have left the team you know, in a huff. And like, it's sad because it's like, you just didn't get it. You missed it. You walked into a, a greedy desire and it's just, it's hard, you know, because you're just, you're watching people that you're, you you love and that you serve with and that you are friends with. And then it just kind of goes off on a deep end. Um, it's a hard thing. Yeah. It's a hard thing. And, it, and that's the hardest part. Reconcile. It's not like a big deal. It's not like, Oh my gosh. Like, like I, yeah. Like I got to go sit in the mirror and do like seven Hail Marys and <laughs> repent and stuff like that. It's like, no, you just got like a Reflect. quick little, yeah. A quick little pride issue. Like just put it, push it over. And it's, that's a really hard 
message to communicate because it comes across very disciplinarian. It comes right. across very Decatur. It comes very across of like, I'm right, you're wrong, as opposed to just, hey, this is just kind of a culture we want to live in. And it's slowly turning around. It's slowly changing. Um, and it's kind of beautiful to watch just kind of the evolution of you know some photographers that might have done it in the past that now just like do it. Or it's just beautiful to watch the progression of photographers that have always been in that realm of like learning to see beyond just I took this picture, you know, and it's like l- looking deeper at an image. Um, and I think that's kind of the beauty of photography is you're just you're growing in that and you're seeing kind of beyond just, I took a great picture of lights. It's like, no, there's something tangible happening in that picture. There's an emotion. There's something. And I want to share that because I was there for that moment and my church or like the bigger purpose by church being Jesus was doing something. And so I think it's, that's just kind of where we, we always end it. And that's just kind of what we always preface the first kind of few meetings with f- new photographers. It's like, Hey, if you can't agree to this, that's totally fine. Like we, we don't hold that against you. Reconcile it. Like get to a point where you can say, cool. Like I wasn't okay with it. I thought about it. I kind of prayed about it. And like, now I'm cool with it. And then you see like, wow, you just transformed. Right. Like there's a bigger thing. This isn't just about you being a photographer for church because who cares? Yeah. Nobody cares. But like you just transformed into human in like a pride level. So that's like a transformative element in your life. Like, yeah. Celebrate that, which then it's bigger. Then it's bigger than just photography. You know, you're guiding people through this process of like just you know, this evolutionary Christianity. And you get to see the transformation, which really should be like the value, you know, I'm a rebel child. Like I don't have as much of an authority problem now as I used to when I was a kid. But I mean, growing up, I just hated people telling me what to do and whatever. I definitely go my own path, beat to my own drum. And, uh, It's really interesting serving in this environment where it's church Mm. and it's also like family, but it's also, I mean, to function at a global level, like our church does, Mm -hmm. it's an organization, right? And I remember when I first joined the team and I had these like urges to resist and kind of rebel against things. And I think that's also like frustration and feeling upset with yourself, maybe for not like getting a certain thing right or Mm -hmm. or feeling like you're not worthy, right? To serve there. And really it's been a cool process process to like go through that and learn how to like die to that rebellion, but then also leverage it in a way to where I can be more like encouraging and in the fact that I take risks, right? Yeah. Risks that will be good for our message and our story. And I know that other people will tell me where the boundaries lie, right? right? And I respect those boundaries and yeah. I, I depend on them now to yeah. tell me where those boundaries are right? rather than thinking that I can just like create the boundaries myself. Which is completely Christianity. Yeah. It's yeah. like, hey, you have free will to do everything, but here's the boundaries to which you will live. Yeah. Which then like creates this false motto that, oh, you're just like a caged bird, you know, that's false love. It's like, no, the, the boundaries simply state, don't be a jerk human, you know? And <laughs> yeah. it's like, don't do this because if you do this, you will succumb to just horrible things. Right. You know? So it's like the same thing with our teams where it's like, just don't do that. Mm-hmm. You're stepping into that. Right. So you're stepping in to give. Well, yeah. And like, and when you step in, there are boundaries. Right. You know, like we can't run on stage and do selfies. Yeah. You know, we have limitations. So like the, the idea that the limitations are inherently bad, like just that acknowledgement you can look at it and go, cool. Then the limitations are off the table. Let's deal with that heart issue. Right. Because we're now not even talking about limitations. We're talking about your offense to that. Right. Uh, which now we're in a different realm. Right. Which is actually then kind of fun, I guess, on the teaching lens because you're like, cool. Hey, bro, this is so beatable. Yeah. In the sense that like, this is just a, a, a learning curve for you. Yeah. You know, and like, a, it's kind of fun because it's like, hey, cool. Now you have an opportunity to, to grow beyond it. You know, right. And it, it makes it sound like, oh, you're just a broken human. But it's like, no, th- we're all broken. We're humans. all broken. Right. And it's like, and that's not even Christianity thing. You just, we're all idiots, you know, and we all have pride issues and we all have self entitlement issues. And we all think that, Oh, the next big thing that we create is our next moneymaker. Get beyond it. I feel like I'm the worst at that. I'm like, yes, this is the idea. Yeah. And it's one of those where it's like the, in in a church setting, you have to be willing to throw ideas on the table in the community to say like, no, it's not right. Right. And then to not be offended. Yeah. You know, and one of our best models on our team, like creative team is like, we have to work really hard to offend each other. If you're easily offendable, that's a problem. Like, and not on a, Oh, woe is me negative problem. It's just a problem. Deal with it. Yeah. Like open yourself up and let yourself like have these moments of going, yeah, I am easily offendable. Why? Right. And like, I've now opened myself up to be fixed by that, you know, which sounds very new age of like, Oh, I'm just going to like, let the universe like fix me. It's like, no, nah, like on a Christian level, we'll go, Hey God, like why am I easily offendable? The next time I get offended, I'm going to let myself know I'm going to acknowledge it. 
and then I'm going to move on. Yeah. And then like the buffer zone between, you know, offended to not offended anymore will eventually like, like dwindle. It'll never go away because you're always offended, but you're just aware of these things in your life, you know, and even just judgment or, you know, jealousy of like, oh, well, this photographer, they're always posting your images. And it's like, I don't determine that. I'm not submitting only my, you know, I'm not like telling people to do this. So don't get offended if that's what they're picking. Yeah. Let's figure out like why you want to get posted, you know, or if you really want to get posted, let's figure out how to get you a better photographer. Right. So let's just learn. Yeah. So it, it always comes back to this whole like teachable spirit of like, you know, if you're offended, all right, then teach yourself why you're always offended. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you have this entitlement issue of like, I want them to post my images, we'll figure out like how to learn in your craft so that you could get posted all the time. Not that it's about that, but you'll see this transformative like mode where like it'll eventually just not become a part of that or it won't be about that, you know, where you'll just move beyond it or someone on the team will call you out because, you know, the way that we teach our team is like we're all leaders, right? you know? So eventually someone's going to say to you, Hey, what's up with that? Ah, like, shut up. I think you have a strong team when like the culture of the team allows for that and then fosters it and then embraces it in the sense of we love you. We don't want you to walk away from this. So we're calling you out of love to say we're holding you accountable. Yeah. So I can go to my team and say, hey, do this. But it doesn't work if they don't respect me. Right. But you can't get respect if you demand respect. So it turns into this whole thing of like, hey, I'm willing to be there all day. I'm willing to do what you're doing. I'm willing to sacrifice my day and demand excellence because I demand excellence for myself. But if I wasn't demanding excellence myself, then I wouldn't get respect from the team. And I think that's one of the coolest parts of this evolution of like just seeing me uh, when I look back over the last two and a half years of being on the team and basically stepping into the team and then almost immediately being appointed as one of the leaders is that someone inherently respected me enough. And then somehow people on the team respect me enough that like when I would ask for things, it was coming from this place of love and it was coming from this place of excellence. Like, hey, we need this excellently. And then eventually systems started birthing of like, hey, we can do this the old way. It doesn't work anymore. We did a look back of our team and we realized that we used to have this three-day turnaround for images from a Sunday. Wow. Uh, you know, where on a Wednesday, images would have a deadline. And then there'd be a barrage of just kind of bootleg compressed images that would just, you know... Get used and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it just was really crappy quality. It wasn't great. There were beautiful images, but it just wasn't good. You know, and then it turned into, hey, we need these in like a day. You know, and then it was like, hey, can we get them by the end of the night? And now we have turnover, even at conference. All you day. know, yeah, we're turning over 30,000 images in a three-day conference and borderline real-time editing. You know, 30 minutes, you know, from shoot, like edit to share it in our streams, you know, where that's the excellence now. And you can't really get much faster because there's only so fast you can go. However, there is an excellence factor of like, just take good images. Don't just take 500 like garbage ones, right. you know? And so then it turns into being patient and it turns into, you know, these direction level, but then you're correcting and then you're, you're doing this way where even the joke on the team is, you know, when people come to me and it's like, Hey, how do my images do? They might give me 50 images and I'll pick five. Right. And that's pretty, I mean, it's, it's a 10% pull. It's not bad. And I'll be like, cool, this wasn't, this wasn't good. This wasn't good. This wasn't good. You know, no, 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 no. And they're like, wow, you're rejecting a lot of my images. And it's like, well, no, yeah, but I'm looking for the good ones. And then I want to find the good ones and I want to tell you why these were good. So you can get 10 more next time. Cause I want to pull the best out of you. Right. It's like, there's no point keeping these blurry images when you weren't paying attention. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you're not paying attention right? because you weren't. So like, if you're offended at that, then you're offended at yourself because you weren't paying attention. Now the other ones though, you were paying attention you were doing the right settings and you're doing this. And so then it's like, my correction shouldn't be this way of like discouraging and should actually be like, wow, like these are the five that were good. Mm-hmm. Forget the rest because it's like, we all make mistakes. So you just move on from that. So then you you have these five good ones to build off of. So the next time you get 10 images, the next time you get 15. Or even for me, where I'll shoot 50 images and I might like one, you know, so what does that say about myself then? You know, so it's all this kind of stuff where like I can give the same critique to myself that I'll give to other people, but like you've slowly walked into earning the respect. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things as a leader is to walk in demanding it as opposed to living out somehow a life that, that hopefully transcends this demand for respect and eventually turns into just people giving it to you, which even that is just a bizarre journey, you know, where people just inherently respect you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a really weird thing because you get heady, mm-hmm. you know, you get this God complex of like, oh, I'm here. No one's saying hi to me. No one's talking. Oh, yeah. Like, what is this? Or like, you don't show up and no one really notices. Yeah. You know, and you're like, well, you didn't notice I was gone. It's like, oh, sorry. You know, and it's a little, it's, you're kind of like, oh, what the heck? But then you realize, cool, it's not about you. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's like, I can leave on a Sunday and the team performs flawlessly, you know, and flawlessly with mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, because I would look at it and I'm like, well, it's not really what I would have done, but you did it. Do you feel better about it? You know? And they're like, yeah, that was great. I still have questions. You're like, awesome. I don't really care because like you did it. Yep. Like that's all I care about, you know? And then you can, you know, pass on that to you know the other team members and be like, well, they did it so you can do it. Right. Like, this isn't just, you know, a John and Smith thing. thing. Yeah. You know, and it's like, this is your team. Right. You know, and like at some point, you know, our pastor can't do what I do and he shouldn't do what I do. He has to move on to his other stuff. You know, so everyone has to go through these progressions and leadership, even on the team, you know, where a brand new person all of a sudden becomes a leader, you know? Yeah. Um, so. 
Yeah. When you pull out the best in people, mm-hmm. it's like it might hurt or it might be like a difficult experience yeah, for them. It's an excavation process. Yeah. But then they're going to appreciate you and they're going to appreciate themselves. And they're going to respect their work more. Because you mm-hmm. don't want like garbage sitting around when you're trying to produce your best work. Yeah, totally. You know, even in your life, you know, you walk into relationships, jobs, whatever. You don't want baggage around. You have to go through a very difficult process of like, oh, this is a hard time in my life that produced a lot of envy, resentment, all this kind of stuff. And like, if I don't deal with that, that will stick with me, you know? So going through these processes creatively, you know, where you're allowing for critique or you're allowing for work to get passed over so you can find the best stuff and then exploit it. Because when you find the best stuff that you can create, exploit the heck out of it. 